0: Together, they will defy the odds and ensure that your dreams become a reality. Don't wait any longer. Get proactive in your child's recruitment process today by visiting proactiveathletes.com. And make sure you use Shark Effect 10 for 10% off.
1: How do you speak to different people and how do they learn best? Will help you as a coach ultimately get the most out of them because... You know, I don't think Bill Belichick got the most out of Tom Brady because he's just brilliant with his programming. He's brilliant because his style of coaching works perfectly with Tom Brady's way of learning.
0: Welcome to the Shark Effect. I'm your host, Alex Molden. I'm a former NFL veteran, and now I'm a leadership and personal development speaker and coach. In this podcast, you will hear inspirational and humorous stories from leaders of all walks of life. From current and former professional athletes, coaches, authors, experts, executives, and successful business owners. Discover how these leaders not only overcame obstacles, but also learned core principles that led to their success when leading others. My guest this week is Max Artsis. Max is an athletic development coach, and he has a passion for training athletes, but it starts with the relationships he creates. He's been training for over a decade. He's had the privilege of working with athletes from the Olympics to NCAA, NFL, NBA, MLB, and youth. He is a director of education and sports science at Roke Performance Therapy, he spent six years at Nike World Headquarters, including a year as the Nike Training Network Lead. He contributes to publications like Shape Magazine, Vital Proteins, Nike, and PowerDot. And he speaks at conferences like the National Strength and Conditioning Association. Welcome to Shark Effect, Max.
1: Thank you for having me, man. I really appreciate being on. Absolutely. So
0: so Max, tell me a little bit about yourself, man. I know you're from L.A., Tell me a little bit about yourself, because you have a a very uh, interesting background.
1: It's been a wild ride. It's only been, I'm coming up on 32 years, but it's been a wild ride so far. Um, From LA, uh, went to University of Michigan for school, so lived out in Ann Arbor for for four years, went back to LA, and then moved to Portland, where we met, Uh, so I was up in in Oregon at Nike headquarters for a little over six years, um, which is wild to think about. And then a year and a half ago, moved back down to L.A. Um, to better service some of my athletes. Absolutely. So I know you, you kind of fast forward a little bit. What caused you to go from L.A. <laughs> to Michigan? Well, go blue, first and foremost. I think it's the most important thing for me to say the whole podcast. <laughs> you know, okay. uh, when I was looking at colleges, I was at the time singing and acting. I was in a whole different world um, singing of performance, yeah, um you know, professionally singing and acting and doing stage theater. Uh, it was something that honestly i it was the only thing that I felt replicated the feeling that I had when I was playing football or playing a sport, where you have that sense of nerve. Um, I know people that you know perform for a living, whatever that may you know, manifest itself in, you know, that feeling of your stomach is churning and I feel like it's a emotion or a feeling that a lot of people search for um, because it makes you feel alive and it was something that I couldn't get enough of Um, and music's always been a part of my life. So I would literally go from football practice, take off my pads and then go into the theater. Wow. So um, I was looking at colleges. Um, Michigan happens to be top three um, for that program and then also happens to be such an amazing sports school and college town. So when I got in after auditioning, um, it was a no-brainer for me.
0: Mm. So so you had to audition to
1: get to- uh, to 2,500 people audition. They take uh, 12 to 14. Wow. That's
0: crazy. So, really well. so when you're talking about like that, that feeling in your stomach, what are you talking about? Is it, is it more nerves? Is it something that, is it on the edge of, of nervousness or, or of, scares? Of,
1: of course it's nervousness. And I think nervousness is healthy. I think nervousness is amazing because it means you're, I don't know that you're scaring yourself, but you're pushing yourself past what is comfortable for you. I think the only thing that makes nervousness a negative feeling is when you're unprepared. Mm-hmm. If you're prepared and you're nervous, I think it's one of the best feelings in the world.
0: I like that. Being prepared, that's that's one of the things that you know when you're I mean, when I look at my life, whether it's on the football field or when I'm speaking to different organizations or when I'm coaching my clients, it's like that, that I mean that's the number one thing is to be prepared, right? Yeah. I and mean, being prepared, that gives you it gave me so much more confidence and, in, in the, you know, the, the, the variables that could, that could pop up. So, you know, when you're talking about being prepared, that's, that's, that's awesome. That's good
1: stuff. Mm-hmm. If you're prepared and you're nervous.
0: So what was that shift? Like, you know, you was in, so you were acting, you were singing at Michigan, um, you graduate and then, was there a shift, like did you want to, or, or did you still do the, you know, the whole acting thing, but you had yeah, something else I was calling you?
1: calling both at the time. You know, um, it's a wonderful profession, but obviously I had to pay the bills. And mm-hmm. um, I think I grew up in a family where they supported what I did, but they're also very realistic. And so um, that realism I think was instilled in me. I think had I gone back um, over again, I would realize how much time there is to be realistic. And I probably would have thrown caution to the wind a little bit further to pursue my passion of that. But no regrets because I love where I am today. So I think it all, it all happens for a reason. And I'm not the coach I am today without having had that experience. So I was training for a role and I ended up losing 14% body fat in a year, like just under a year. And I was shredded up. And the confidence that I felt in myself, I had never felt before. Um, You know, externally, I don't think anyone really ever knew this, but I didn't grow up with a whole lot of confidence in myself. So having that extra layer allowed me to really um, appreciate myself when I walked into a room. It was something that I had never felt before. And I wanted to give that to other people. And so I loved what we were doing. So I started training people on the side and I got pretty good at it. Um, I moved to top 10% in Equinox than the company within like a year and I was really enjoying what I was doing. And then, you know, my journey to Nike is like one of the most wild, random experiences ever. Um, I just went up to Portland to visit my friend who was working in digital soccer at the time and came into the gym, started talking to Josh for One of the other trainers that was there at the gym, uh, Josh introduced me to Marie, Marie introduced me to Beth. And by the end of the day, I had a job offer and it was the biggest whirlwind of an experience um under a month later i said you know i can always come back to acting if i want to but i don't know that this job will ever be there for me again or this opportunity i'll always say what if so i packed my bags and i moved in under a month and the rest is kind of history
0: wow how did i
1: didn't know that yeah
0: i didn't know that well i want to rewind a little bit because you said that, you know, you dropped 14% body fat. Now, were you like a heavier kid? Were you a little chubby? What, <laughs> what, what, what was it? You got all shredded up and that gave you, you know, uh, it gave you a new sense of um, of uh, confidence.
1: Yeah. I want to, you know, I wanted to so dive into that a little bit. My dad bodybuilded. Uh, is that a word, bodybuilded? I don't know. He body. I don't know. We can. i look it up. He bodybuilt? Okay. Okay. Uh, <laughs> while I was growing up. So my dad was very fit. Um, my sister played collegiate soccer. My mom is very health conscious, so it's just always around. So, you know, I think you can manifest in one of two ways. It can either psychologically put you in that position or two, it can make you feel inferior and make you feel self-conscious about every little thing that you're doing and everything that's wrong with you. And it was to no fault of my upbringing. It was just the way that, you know, that language, um, ended up making me feel. So I don't know that I would say that I was overweight or chubby, but I was definitely, I was skinny fat for sure. Mm. Uh, You know, sure. Did I do a lot of curls? Absolutely. (laughs) But would I consider myself, you know, shredded up back then? Absolutely not. Mm. So um, when I finally really understood what it felt to be comfortable in my skin, um, it changed how I speak to people, how I treat people, how I walk into a room. And the best part of acting for me was when I could physically and emotionally engage with someone to the point that they're moved. And we have a unique opportunity to do that on a daily basis in what we do now. So there's a lot of parallels between what I was doing and what I am doing now.
0: Mm -hmm. That's so cool. And, you know, speaking of that, what are you doing now? I know you was at Nike for... Uh, for a good amount of time. How long were you at Nike? Five, six years?
1: Six years. Six years.
0: Six years. Okay. Crazy. And so, you know, your experience at Nike, I know you was, you know, training training uh, employees, but then also training some high caliber athletes. Tell me a little bit, tell my listeners a little bit about that, your time, you know, yeah. uh, you know Nike training some of the athletes. Yeah, you know, Nike was an
1: amazing experience for me, um, getting to surround myself with with people like you, of course and my journey kind of led me ultimately to leading the nike master trainer network which then opened so many doors um for me to start training athletes so a couple years i would go down and work with brian flaherty on um his off-season programming and combine training for a lot of the nfl athletes that we have today um I started working with Chloe Kim, Olympic gold medalist, and we still work together now. So I've had a really wonderful opportunity um, to have a breadth of, of athletes. I mean, a bunch of drew league uh, basketball players. So um, I've had, I've had my fill for sure. Um, Now I'm actually somehow in a weird way, much more on the Olympic snowboarding path. I don't know how we got here, but we got here. So (laughs) Um, it's funny because I tell I have a couple Olympians now and I tell them I'm probably the only Olympic snowboarding trainer ever to like have no idea how to snowboard. <laughs> I, I can't do it, man. Uh,
0: that's funny. That's funny. Okay. So, so you talk about, you you're training these different high profile, um, you know, high level athletes. Tell me what's the difference between training, olympians and training us knucklehead football players
1: (laughs) what's the Uh, difference what's
0: the biggest difference
1: well you know i think everyone is different right every single athlete is different there are some very skilled athletes and what i mean by that is you take them out of their sport and they look like they are a drunken monkey that's on roller skates you know they have just mastered the skill of their sport then you have other athletes that are just freak athletes i mean just absolutely freak athletes and then you have your grinders then you have your athletes that shouldn't be there but for some reason they are because they possess this innate ability to tap into their mindset better than anybody and so i think understanding that there are those buckets of different athletes and there isn't one size fits all not only helps as a coach, but then as an athlete, if you're listening to this, I think it lets you off the hook a little bit in understanding that you can just be yourself and get to where you wanna go and you don't have to fit a certain mold to get there.
0: Now, when you talk about mindset, because that's something that, um, that's become you know the buzzword in the, in the performance world and it's something that we didn't really think about, you know, back in the day when I was, when I was playing professionally, um, talking a little bit about like mindset and, and what you've, the science behind it and how you're incorporated with training your athletes.
1: Yeah. So the biggest thing that I um, figure out, so there's two things that I need to figure out from a mindset point of view. One is how do I coach you? How do I tap into, how do I become an amplifier of your mindset, right? Some athletes need to be spoken to, in terms of um, fear of failure. Some athletes need to be talked to about with praise, and they need to be in the front of the line always. So understanding, is your athlete an underdog? Does your athlete like to be ahead of the game? How do you speak to different people, and how do they learn best? Will help you as a coach ultimately get the most out of them. Because, you know, I don't think Bill Belichick got the most out of Tom Brady because he's just brilliant with his programming. He's brilliant because his style of coaching works perfectly with Tom Brady's way of learning. So from a coaching point of view, I need to understand that piece of the mindset. And then when I talk to my athletes, a lot of it is um, attention. They have this remarkable ability to hone in on one thing. They obsess over their sport. We live in a world where Instagram posts became so long for some reason that we can't focus for a minute, that we had to create TikTok and do dances for 15 seconds to catch people's attention. So we have our brains just jump around to so many different things. The people that you find that are succeeding at a high, high, high level, all they're able to do is maintain attention to very specific things for a longer period of time. And then on top of that, when you get to a certain level, now you have to deal with fame and you have to deal with money and you have to deal with all of the stressors that come along with playing your sport. So every situation is unique um, and everyone deals with their own demons but I think the ones that are able to stay grounded and the ones that are able to remember that without their sport, nothing else comes with it, are the ones that are able to find longevity.
0: Man, that's, that's powerful. And I think especially in today's day and age, with the amount of distractions that are out there, it's, it's got to be tough for today's athlete. Like You, you really have to, have to focus and lock in. To not just the on the court, on the field, or you know, on the uh, you know, in the pool, whatever, but then when you get off of that and you got the social media, that's you know, people telling you how you know how good you are, like you're the best thing since sliced bread. But then, once you have a bad day, you know, it, it, now it, they all turn against you, and so I, I mean, like, I just. I don't mindset is tough. I don't think we
1: were built for fame. I don't think we as human beings are supposed to be famous. Oh, you got
0: to explain this.
1: So you got to break it down. Look, in today's day and age, the problem with social media and everything is that everyone has a voice. So for athletes, it's so difficult for them to tune people out. Back in the day, if someone wanted to say something to you while you were playing football, they had to write you a letter. And then mail that letter in. And then you had to make the conscious decision to open the letter. Nowadays, if you make one post, someone can literally rip you. And people are taking advantage of that, right? If you say, I like turkey sandwiches. How many posts or comments are going to be on your post that say, well, you forgot about ham sandwiches and roast beef sandwiches. And you're like, I'm not even making a comment on that. So they're getting scrutinized at this super high level for every little detail that they're saying. And they don't really have a choice whether or not they can expose themselves to a lot of it. And it's really lonely to be famous. All of these athletes are putting in so much work day in and day out, most of the time alone. Then you go out in public and you're still alone because everyone's staring at you. And then you have to think about, can I trust the people that are in my circle? because everyone wants something from you. So at that level, it really becomes this deep, deep rooted trust that you have to build with someone, where you say, I am here for you, only you. And if you retire tomorrow, you and I are still on good terms. I don't need anything from you. Um, And so I just don't, we weren't built for this level of fame, because. There are so many high-level people that are suicidal because of it, right? As a society and as a people, we crave attention, but like in the most raw emotional way possible. We crave relationships, and it's really hard to have relationships when you're famous.
0: Yeah, because a lot of it is transactional, right? It's transactional instead of being uh, you know, really relational. And so with that, I wanna ask you like, how do you build the relationship with, with your athletes from the very beginning? And how do you build upon that so they can be able, so you can influence them to actually believe what you're telling them that's gonna help them? How do, you, how, do you, how do you start that relationship? How do you start that conversation?
1: Yeah, um, well, I think it's about getting to know them as a human being first right? Uh, Getting to know them off the field, getting to know them off the court. Who are they? What's their family? Do they have kids? Like truly investing yourself in the person. I tell people this all the time. I'm like, if I'm not your cup of tea, if you and I sit down and you don't like how I speak and where our relationship is going, like we're good. Like I'm fine to not do this because I'm forcing us to be in a relationship essentially. And that's what this is. So if you don't feel 100% confident in who I am and the fact that I'm here for you, we're good because that's all I want. And I'll, I'll refer people out to other trainers. I have no problem with that. And I think that initial step means a lot to them, right? Because I'm not forcing my agenda on you. Um, I'm saying I'm here for you. And if this doesn't work, let me figure out a way to amplify what it is that you want in a way that doesn't serve me at all. Mm. Um, And all of my, you know, all of my athletes, we will go out for drinks. We'll hang out. Like this is a, I'm not a one hour a day trainer. This is a 24 hour, seven days a week type of thing. I get FaceTimes at two in the morning being like, I dropped a spoon on my foot. What do I do? You know, it's just like you have to care. And I think, a professional athlete's bullshit meter is very high. And so they will see through whether or not you're real or not. If you're for real, um, I, th- I think they can see that. I mean, you tell me that. You tell me, when you were playing, how easy was it for you to see through people?
0: Mm. Yeah, it took a while. <laughs> it took a while. I, was, I became friends with like, you know, the guy who, who installed my cable. We became really good friends. Got, you know, and, and, you know, it ended up taking advantage of me. Matter of fact, your cable Lord, guy? I, I got smart. The cable guy, my cable guy in New Orleans. Yeah. What do you. It, I'm it, not going to No, no, no. Hold, I'm not going on. to know it. This is hold not on, Hold on, hold on, hold <laughs> this, <laughs> this, this is another conversation. No, I'm not <laughs> going to explain to you. That's going to be another episode. Uh, uh, uh. I might invite you on, too. Okay, okay, so, okay, so tell, me, <laughs> tell me a little bit about like what you're saying, like, you know, so you're, you're trying to influence your athletes and, you, yeah. know, you, you know, you spend time with them, not just that one hour in the weight room or on the field, but you also, you know, you get, go have drinks, right? When is that, when does that moment come where, okay, um, I, st- I still want them to have the same type of respect? for me like you know so is it do you believe in like hey yeah we're buddies and all this we go out and hang out get drinks and go to clubs or it's like okay no this is the point where you know this is when i when i leave
1: i absolutely have yeah. mine what is that you know i no, i do not go clubbing or you know i don't get wasted i don't do any of that stuff um you know, uh, I'm, I'm here to be a role model for them of what health and wellness holistically should look like. And if I'm sitting there getting blacked out or, you know, doing something stupid with them, um, I don't think that I'm doing them a service yeah. because this game is about longevity. Mm-hmm. And the only way you find longevity is through being intelligent, being really, really smart with your body. And, um, I need to help them see that I live what I'm telling them. Consistency. Right. And so I think, I think that's the thing that that's the perfect word for it. Consistency. When you walk into a weight room and you see me, I need to be consistent every single day, not just with my programming, but with my attitude and the way that I speak to you. Because if I'm erratic, you're not going to know what you're getting from me. And that's a big problem. So whatever's happening in my life, whatever's happening that may make me be different, I have to find whatever that consistency is for you. Because this is about you and it will always be about you and it is never about me. Mm. And the moment it becomes about me, you're paying me to make it about me. That's not how this works.
0: That's so good, man. I, man, it, it rings so true, man. You, you know, you're talking, and I'm thinking back to a coach that I'm not going to name his name, but I had a coach that was like, you know, from every day, it switched on how he, how he showed up. I didn't know, man, if he had some type of mental disorder or what, but you would not know what type of guy you was going to get. How did that affect he's, you? He's our leader. Oh, man, it was, you know, you didn't know. You walk in on eggshells, and, you know, and I was, my, I was in my sixth, seventh year. And so I can only imagine what these younger guys who are not established, you know, what that even felt like, you
1: know? Yeah, it, and it's, I, you know, there's a difference, obviously, between something serious is happening in your life. Maybe you're a couple years into the relation, like the relationship with your athlete, and you want to talk about it. That's one thing. But like if you come in on a random Tuesday and I'm talking about my cat got sick and I'm kind of sad and all this stuff, like no one needs to hear that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Let me ask you a question. What's uh, what's one of the biggest myths in your world in terms of, uh, you know, training or performance training, especially high, um, high-level athletes what's one of the biggest myths we're, we're, you know whether it's from from uh your place as a as a as a trainer or you know dealing with with the with the athletes
1: what's one uh, of the biggest I think myths? one of the biggest myths is that trainers who are phenomenal at marketing are phenomenal at training mm. what, uh, there are some trainers by that? that are brilliant honestly brilliant at marketing and they understand how to say what you want to hear, um, how to do the cool hype videos, how to do the exercises that will get the most clickbait. But ultimately, um, a lot of those trainers are really trash. And some of the best brilliant minds I know suck at Instagram, suck at marketing, and suck at sales. And so I think there is a very large discrepancy between um, the understanding of what is a phenomenal trainer, right? It's because to the lay person, it's hard to see what is good programming and what is crappy programming. It's really hard to see that until it's too late and you get hurt or something tweaked or you just couldn't be as good as you were or should have been. Um, And you know, at the professional level, man, like I said, it's all trust. So if I'm in with one athlete and that athlete tells me to go to another athlete, they're gonna trust me because I have that in. And that can ricochet to me having a laundry list of phenomenal athletes. I mean, brilliant names, but that says nothing about the quality of trainer that I am, I don't think.
0: Hmm. So you think so relationships, Right, that word of mouth. If if you have a great relationship with an athlete and you're you're doing right by them, there's nothing I believe there's, there's nothing uh, more impactful than having you know your athlete tell another athlete, "Hey, you got to get with
1: Max." One hundred percent.
0: Yeah, relationships are
1: They're uh, everything, man. They're everything. Yeah,
0: absolutely, absolutely.
1: Because okay. it's relationships that'll keep you around when things don't go well.
0: Mm.
1: And they're inevitably, going, inevitably, they're going to happen, right? Someone's going to get hurt. Mm-hmm. And as a coach, yes, it's my job to look back and say, did we do everything we possibly could to attempt to prevent this? But like, you know, injuries aren't preventable, right? We can minimize the risk for injury, We can make really big oh shit moments, very small ones. We can help to protect against major injury the best we possibly can, but stuff happens. Mm -hmm. And so when you have that deep rooted trust and relationship with your athlete, and a lot of times at this level with their agent, then when something like that happens, people don't panic and start cutting heads off. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's good. Let me ask you, what was, what was um, in your career, what was, some of, what was maybe one, one of the biggest failures that you had or that you made, and what did you learn from it?
1: That's such a hard question. Um, when I, so it actually has more to do with when I worked on the corporate side of Nike than what I've done with athletes, but I think it's very applicable. Okay. Uh, when I had my job as the head of Master Trainer Network, there were people there um, that just saw things differently than I did. And I wasn't used to working in a corporate setting. So anyone that knows me knows I, I pretty much speak my mind and I say it 100% how it is. And I was blinded by myself to the point where I felt like I had points to prove when I really didn't. And I let people who shouldn't have gotten the way, gotten the way. And it led to this really, really, um, I don't wanna say dark time for me, but it led to a a very self-destructive time for me. When I should have looked at the bigger picture and I should have realized that you're not always gonna have bosses that make sense to you. And you're not always gonna have people in your life that support you fully. And it's your job, not theirs, to work through that. And so I pulled a lot of people into the mess that shouldn't have been pulled in. I made it about me, and I shouldn't have. And so I think it was a really important lesson for me to learn at a fairly young age that you're going to deal with all different types of personality traits throughout your career. And a lot of them won't mesh with yours. And if you keep your eye on the bigger picture and understand that this is just another stepping stone to get to where you need to go, it allows you to take the ego out of it. And once you take the ego out of things, I think life becomes a whole lot more simple.
0: Mm, that's golden. I'm a, I'm a big believer in that. <laughs> Trust me. That's you know golden. what I mean? You,
1: yeah. Of course we all try. We all try not to have an ego, but sometimes you drink your own sauce. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you're like, absolutely, I'm correct. And you're incorrect. And whether that's right or wrong, your reaction to the moment is wrong. Because just like we talked about with athletes, it's not what is said, it's what's heard. So if I'm coming at you from a defensive point of view, you're going to clamshell up and we're going to get nowhere. But if we both try to help each other understand our point of view from a place of mutual respect and leave ego at the door, then we have the potential of getting somewhere. Mm. So it's a matter of, you know, finding a way to be liked, finding a way to be respected and finding a way to coexist in situations that you you may not want to be in, but you know you have to be in. And that's just a part of life.
0: That's good. Absolutely, man. That's great. That's great information, Max. Um, so tell me a little bit about, like, like, you know, for you, what is some of um, your, your routines or habits that have have given you success in, I don't know, any part of your life? Do you have any routines or, or habits that you've kind of created to, to help you become a high performer?
1: Yeah. I mean, we talk about it all the time. Habits succeed where, where motivation fails, right? You're going to wake up day in and day out and your level of motivation is going to vary. But if you built in a deep enough routine and a deep enough habit, um, it doesn't become a sense of motivation anymore. It's just time to do whatever that task is. So for me, because I like to do so many different things and I have so many different interests Building to do lists and objectives and key results has been a major way for me to be able to stay on track. Because I could look at 55 different things, want to study them all, and then next year I'm like half of a step ahead in all 55 things, but like it really feels like nothing. So I really need to break down for myself one to two things per quarter that I want to focus on. So what you do is I say, okay, what are the four things I wanna achieve in 2020? And then let's break that down quarterly. And I'm only gonna focus on one per quarter. I'm going to obsess over one thing per quarter. And then in order to achieve that at the quarter, what do I have to do monthly? And then in order to achieve that monthly, what do I have to do biweekly, and then weekly, and then daily? And then you start to understand how these very, very, very small daily inputs that feel like nothing, ultimately turn into mastery of something. So for me, that has been a really, really important way for me to hone in um, my wandering eye.
0: Mm. That's a great tool, Max. That's great, I'm gonna definitely, I'm gonna definitely use that, man. John yeah,
1: Doerr, John, DORR, uh, J- John D-O-R-R um, O-K-Rs, is uh, the guy who did that, Objectives and Key Results. And then, of course, you know, reading books like Atomic Habits has been wonderful. Um, and, you know, books like Dare to Lead from Brene Brown, you know, those have really helped to instill a sense of structure into my life.
0: That's great. Man, that's great. Uh, okay, so kind of, you know, we're going to get to our the next portion of, of our interview. It's called The Blitz Period. I know you have a background in football. So do I. And, you know, the blitz period is that, that certain time in, within practice where, you know, there's a lot of things happening super fast and things are thrown at you. And, um, you, you know, you still got to read and react. You play quarterback. You know what I'm talking about.
1: I got you, man. I'm ready to go. I might be a little bit rusty, but I think I'm okay.
0: <laughs> okay. All right. All right. So I'm, I got a couple of questions for you. Just fire them away. You can go as quick or as long as you'd like i'm not going to stop you but um first question max what makes a good leader empathy empathy i like it i like it what what advice would you give the 22 year old max
1: you have so much time ahead of you don't be practical Mm, don't be practical. I like that.
0: Um, what, what if you didn't get into the performance training field? What would Max be doing? Would it be on TV? Would it be on Broadway? Probably. Yeah. Would you absolutely. be having a good time?
1: Well, not right now because of COVID, <laughs> but. Yes, um, yeah. Yeah, I absolutely do think so, and and that industry is so much about just longevity and being okay with getting no's and continuing to fight back, um, especially if you're talented. So uh, I definitely think I'd I'd probably be in that world still.
0: I about to say, I think you'd be okay with that because, I mean, you have a you have a great ability, man, to uh, to turn no's into yeses. I think just from you know knowing you for as long as I have and.
1: You know, that, and, uh, that industry, again, is like, it's all relationship-based. But at the same point, there's so many different things that factor into to a no. Like, I've gotten no's because I was 5'10 and not 6'2. So mm. there's some things that you just can't control. And one of the best pieces of advice that I ever got when I was auditioning was when you walk into an audition, there's a table there and there's people sitting behind it. And it's a pretty nerve-wracking experience because you're one of however many people are auditioning. And she told me when I walked into the room to take the mindset of looking at the people that are sitting behind the table and saying, congratulations, you don't have to sit here all day anymore because you found the right person. Obviously, you don't say that out loud, but it gave me a sense of control over the um, uncontrollable. Right? It gave me this sense of power when I walked in that they don't want to look through 100 people any more than I want to be one of 100. They're looking for the right person. They're looking for the reason for you to be the right person. So give them that reason.
0: Mm, I love
1: that. That's awesome, man. And I think that's great for any interview, right? The yeah, people are yeah, sure. don't want to be there for weeks on end. They're looking for the right person. So just give them the reason to make you the right person.
0: Mm. What's, the, what's the secret to success? And what's what's your definition of success?
1: We talked about that a lot. Um, My definition of success changes pretty frequently. But the depth of relationships that I have with people is probably at the top right now. And then it's a sense of passion and purpose for what I do day in and day out. Um, I think COVID for a lot of people has stripped them of their purpose. And so people are struggling right now to figure out how do you fill your days? And when you have a strong conviction behind whatever it is that you want to do, the days kind of fill themselves. And when you don't, they don't. So if you're bored or if you're lazy you may not be bored or lazy. You may just not have passion for the thing that you're doing. And it may be a sign that it's time to pivot. So for me, it's about finding passion and purpose, not only in my relationships, but in my day-to-day life. And the, ha- like the habits, the tasks, the small minutia that make up the big picture. Um, and the people that are able to hone in and focus their attention, that are able to hold their attention are the ones that succeed in my opinion.
0: That's great. That's great. So Max, what's the, uh, the blitz period is over. Okay. A great job. Hard
1: what's next?
0: Max, what's next for you, my man?
1: Uh, a lot of gold medals. Mm. I'm going in the universe right now. Um, we're going to go to Beijing and we're going to get a bunch of gold medals and then we're going to come back and I'm probably going to um, regroup and pivot for what the next chapter is for me, Um, whether that's team sports, whether that's consulting more. um, But the immediate goal is gold.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, she has a, a great, uh, a great trainer, a great person in her corner, and for all the other Olympians that you might be working with, um, it, you know, this has been great, Max. How can my listeners get a hold of you, my man? You got a, uh, you know, social media. I know you're on social media. You have a website or anything yeah, like that. Um, you can be able social, to share.
1: Social is just first and last name at Max Um I do have a website, artsisathletics.com. Um So I am doing. Um, online coaching. I'm also doing a mentorship program for other coaches that want to just get better in their field. And for right now, I'm doing it for free. Um, It's just something that I'm passionate about. I'm really, really passionate about education and and paying it back. And um, I know there's a lot of people out there that are charging a whole heck of a lot of money. Um, But, you know, we're nowhere without people to help us up. So I want to do my part to to pay that back. So you can find a questionnaire on my website there as well.
0: That's so cool, Max. Hey, Max, man, thank you. I'm so I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy that you was, you know, that you're uh, that you decided to come on, and you know, we can talk shop a little bit. And um, you know, it's always a pleasure hearing your voice and, and hearing some of the things that that you have going on in your world. So um, you're very inspiring individual and that's one of the reasons I want to have you on the shark effect
1: well I appreciate you so much man and um, you know your energy your passion for what you do Um, you're just you're you're a phenomenal friend but an even better role model I think for me Um, not only as a coach um, but you know ultimately eventually as a dad so um, I appreciate the role that you play in my life as well man thank you very much Max
0: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Shark Effect Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, you can reach me directly at thesharkeffect.com. Thanks for listening. It's here, finally. My book, the ultimate playbook for high achievement, you can get it on Amazon and the uh, paper paperback version or you can get it on Kindle. And who this book is an in, intentionally created for is for those who are looking to, to transition, what, whether you were an athlete or an executive or a successful entrepreneur or whatever, if you're looking to Transition into something different. This book can help you. I break it down. And I lay down the foundation of who you want to be. I have a chapter in there that breaks down and boils down leadership, which is influence. And you got to understand these 10 influencers that can help you with decision making. That can help you with influencing others. And how are you influenced? I have chapters in there. That really breaks down my system of assignment, alignment and adjustment, um, recognizing the power of your environments as a chapter, developing your own procedures, creating relationship roadmaps, using adversity to your advantage, right? Because we all go through tough times. But how do you flip it? How do you use it to power you? OK, and then developing your own standards. So these are things that can help anybody, not just not just athletes.